This is an unlocked episode, which is different from our usual shows, but hopefully you'll still get something out of it. This episode is dedicated to Brandon Jordan, Andy Kennedy Dirke, and KJ for becoming our newest Southpaw supporters and helping to make this project possible. This is Sam. This is Paul. And this is Southpaw. A note to our loyal listeners. If you love the show, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by joining Team Southpaw on Patreon. By becoming a member, you'll get access to bonus content like exclusive articles, fight previews, bonus episodes, transcripts of fight studies, and access to our private chat group on Discord. But more importantly, you'll help us supplement the cost of the show, the incredible time and energy Sam and I put into making the show, and you'll be giving us some breathing room not only to juggle Southpaw with our day jobs, but also expand Southpaw into other areas. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at patreon.com slash southpawpod. can't talk about the silent era of movies without mentioning Charlie Chaplin and, of course, his on-screen character, The Tramp. As actor and character, they were iconic. But in 1940, Charlie Chaplin put aside the Tramp character to write, direct, and star in The Great Dictator. Rather than his usual slapstick comedy, The Great Dictator was a thoughtful political comedy that not only satirized, but denounced fascism. In the film, the barber, played by Charlie Chaplin, is mistaken for Hinkle, the great dictator. Hinkle being an obvious stand-in for Adolf Hitler. Rather than letting this opportunity of mistaken identity slip through his fingers, the barber addresses the crowd as Hinkle, to explain that he's had a change of heart. And Charlie Chaplin delivers what many consider to be one of the greatest speeches ever to be recorded. Though The Great Dictator was a criticism of the Nazis, it rings especially true today, because in many ways, the Nazis won. Now, I'm not going to go into the typical storyline about racism in America. No, that's too obvious. What everyone ignores is the not-so-obvious, but the one we're constantly immersed in. Like fish, since Nazi efficiency has become like water, we no longer see it. But it makes sense that World War II was the marriage of Nazi efficiency and Japanese imperial efficiency. The Nazis and the Japanese didn't win World War II, but in many ways, they won the war of work. We often joke that people are acting like Nazis. Seinfeld did an episode about a soup Nazi. When people are too strict about grammar, we call them a grammar Nazi. We joke when we set the bar too high that we're being like a Nazi. We can especially be Nazi-like with ourselves and in our judgments about ourselves. So in common culture, what do we mean by Nazi? We mean someone too inflexible, too rigid, a perfectionist. Someone who's obsessed with productivity and achievement. A machine. 
Now, Nazis didn't invent this, but like Nazis, they perfected it. Now, there is a way efficiency can be a force for good, but that's not how the Nazis did it, and that's not how we're doing it. Now, it's all about productivity and achievement. We're Nazis about how we look, how we perform, how we work, and our level of material success to be perfect, identical robots. So in that context, listen to the speech by Charlie Chaplin and see if you're not any less moved. There is no great dictator trying to take over the world this time because the world has already been taken over by hyper-efficiency and machine-like work life. I'm sorry, but I don't want to be an emperor. That's not my business. I don't want to rule or conquer anyone. I should like to help everyone if possible. Jew, Gentile, black man, white. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. We don't want to hate and despise one another. In this world, there's room for everyone, and the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful, but we have lost the way. Greed has poisoned men's souls, has barricaded the world with hate, has goose-stepped us into misery and bloodshed. We have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. Our knowledge has made us cynical, our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life will be violent and all will be lost. The aeroplane and the radio have brought us closer together. The very nature of these inventions cries out for the goodness in men, cries out for universal brotherhood, for the unity of us all. Even now, my voice is reaching millions throughout the world. Millions of despairing men, women, and little children. Victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed. The bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die. And the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. You have the love of humanity in your hearts. You don't hate. Only the unloved hate, the unloved and the unnatural. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power. The power to create machines, the power to create happiness. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Then in the name of democracy, let us use that power. Let us all unite. Let us fight for a new world, a decent world that will give men a chance to work, that will give youth a future and old age a security. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power, but they lie, they do not fulfill that promise, they never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us fight to free the world, to do away with national barriers, to do away with greed, with hate and intolerance. 
Let us fight for a world of reason, a world where science and progress will lead to all men's happiness. Soldiers, in the name of democracy, let us all unite! We take it for granted, but what is freedom? You can have two or more groups or two or more belief systems in conflict because they each define freedom differently and they'll each use freedom to justify their actions without ever properly defining what freedom means to that party. We call each other hypocrites, but how can we be hypocrites if we don't know what the other party's definition of freedom is, nor our own? Yet, we'll fight for this mysterious freedom just the same. But Charlie Chaplin asks us to question our values and what the natural conclusions are to our actions. What do we represent? Who are we helping? What is freedom? In practical terms, freedom means time. We have machinery and efficiency. The original intent was to make our lives easier so that we may have more time to pursue human interests. The humanities. This is the right cause for efficiency, which is for utility. Not how we mean utility now, but what it used to mean. Utility means ethics, a form of ethics to improve the lives of fellow human beings and lessen their suffering. Utilitarian ethics. Work less, but have more because we have the assembly line, machines, and better production. Yet, rather than machine efficiency making our lives more human, we have become more like machines, or worse, like cattle, to be used, branded, and to have our individual body parts priced, a meat market. In pictures on social media, we're mostly body parts rather than a whole human being. We are pieces and parts, a meat market. And we do this to ourselves. In more recent times, utility has taken on a second and more popular definition for profit generation and production of more consumer goods. We think that's what utility has always meant. But as George Orwell warned, in any dystopia, the first thing you must do is change the meaning of words to fit the needs of the current dystopian system. Now utility means its opposite to increase human suffering for its own sake. Productivity has become the new God and we sacrifice our humanity so we can produce, not for pleasure or for good, but just to produce for the sake of producing. And in this pursuit, what can produce more than machines? So we try to become more like machines. The only way we can compete with their efficiency is to think like them, which is not to think at all. We use metaphors, comparing ourselves to machinery, our brains like hard drives, our bodies like cars. This is all in the interim to have us act like machines until we can finally be replaced by them. But for now, this is good enough. Yet when describing machines, the goal is to make them more like us, to be less slave and more sentient and feeling. That is the highest ideal. From the view of productivity, freedom will look like weakness because it will never produce enough. Too much freedom to do whatever you want gets in the way of work. For productivity, having no freedom makes the most sense. Then you aren't free to do anything else other than produce. What's more productive than a robot, which is Slavic for slave? 
and how have the goals of slave masters become our own? We're brainwashing ourselves. Unlike World War II, there is no great supervillain making us do this. It's an idea. It's the world we think we ought to be living in. Among many other things, the Nazis killed anyone they deemed feeble and unproductive to the Nazi machine. Their acts of horror didn't just come from hate, it also came from their misguided love for productivity. And we still categorize people based on their level of usefulness to the machine. We have a whole host of new diagnoses to label inefficiencies as mental disorders. An uncomfortable side note to psychiatric history is, some of these disorders, like Asperger's, were first categorized by the Nazis. The Nazis didn't want neurodiversity. They only wanted uniform conformity. If there were a great villain, things would be much easier. Just defeat them and this is all over. But it's a runaway system. And already, after many irregular wars, financial crises, turmoil and elections, we're getting sick of this world order. This idea that we can't be imperfect, that we must always be correct. That doesn't mean, however, we all suffer equally. No. There are the few who benefit greatly from this system. But even they are not happy. New utility serves no one's happiness. Yes, it's wonderful to make something of yourself, but what good is it to be something if you're no longer human? If we give up our feelings, we can work more. But what's the point if we can no longer feel? We seek efficiency to be happier, yet our misguided chase for machine efficiency only destroys human happiness. We go to foreign lands to learn about happiness, and rather than learning from them, we apply our utility to their happiness and ruin it, trying to make happiness a consumerist business, and we don't get why we're never happy. How can we separate freedom from humanity? They are one and the same. To think and feel, to be aware of our feelings and the feelings of others, this is humanity, but this is also freedom. You can be like a hammer, a hammer is useful, but it's not free. It's a tool. Freedom means the worthiness of your existence is not based on how useful you are as a tool. It's an inalienable right as a human being, if you choose to take advantage of it. Utility is supposed to be helpful, not oppressive. You are not a tool. You are a being. Our actions support the liberties of the few at the sacrifice of the many. They dictate, we comply. And when the few disagree, we fight on their behalf, so that they may be free to do whatever they want. We'll work so they can do as they please, but they aren't forcing us, we're compliant. Because we stop questioning, because we think this is how things ought to be. And the powerful are just as deluded as we are. There is no mastermind, all are cogs in the machine. We mistake physical liberties for freedom. Since we have designer jeans, titillating TV shows, since we can tattoo our bodies and grow our beards, since we have access to every imaginable merchandise at the click of a button, we believe we're free. Yet that freedom is much easier to attain. The freedom of the few relies on our consumption. The more we consume and purchase, the more powerful they become. And we willingly give our freedom away for a little marketing and dazzle. 
freedom means our minds can wander. Thinking for ourselves, that is a difficult task. Yet what a beautiful freedom. Don't rely on the few to tell you what to think and feel. Design your own life. Pursue those natural things that make you human. Wonder, explore, imagine, and see. See things for yourself. Travel, but not with work-like agendas and itineraries. Go for a wander. Arts, poetry, literature, volunteering, good deeds, and creating new relationships. Not to network, but to be human. These are the true freedoms that we discount because they're free. And there it is, staring us in the face. It's free. That is freedom. But Charlie Chaplin warns, most importantly, we must stick together. Helping one another, that is a natural human quality, but it must be cultivated, just as utilitarian ethics must be cultivated. For greed is also a natural quality, and it too can be cultivated. If we do not unite, if we are fractured and splintered, We'll do as we're told by the greedy, because we fail to work together, and we'll destroy our own commons. And then it won't be you waking up one day to find yourself in a nightmare. It'll be you in a nightmare, never waking up. Now that's the show. If you enjoyed this episode and find this type of independent media worthwhile, please consider supporting the show on Patreon. We have a lot more episodes like this one in the works, but need your financial support to keep the show running. Even a few dollars a month goes a long way. No one does what we do, and it's all being funded by you, the listener. In return for supporting us, you'll gain access to lots of bonus content along with our private Discord chat. Even if you can't support us, there's a lot of free bonus content there as well. We also have an online store if you want to show your Southpaw solidarity by wearing our swag. You can find all pertinent links at southpawpod.com. And if you can't afford to support the show and still want to help, please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen. This makes it easier for others to find us. And don't forget to share your favorite episodes or the podcast itself on social media. Tell your friends. Until next time, goodbye.